Good morning. Well, welcome to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, in just a few moments, you'll, uh, you'll hear from Pastor Mike, our senior pastor, who is also uh, here sharing our, our message with me uh, today. Uh, as you've already heard, uh, on Thursday, we returned uh, from the Holy Land, a 10-day trip there with about 63 uh, individuals uh, in our church, many of whom are here this morning. We had several at, at the 815 service. And as you can imagine, a trip to the Holy Land involves many holy moments. Uh, someone asked me last night, what was your favorite thing about the trip? And I thought, oh, you can't, you can't pick one thing. But several, several come to mind as I think about uh, just, just moments where you felt the presence of God. So we were in the church of St. Anne's, uh, which is near the pool of Bethesda. It marks the spot uh, where Jesus healed a man there, John chapter 5, if you want to read that story. Beautiful, beautiful space. Acoustics in that room are just, I mean, they are, they're heavenly. And so in that room, our group sang, How Great Thou Art. Uh, beautiful, holy moment uh, there. You remember that one? We were there, yeah. Um, and then uh, at, the, at the church by the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee that marks the spot where the resurrected Jesus shared a meal with his disciples and asked Peter the question, do you love me? We were there right by the Sea of Galilee. I walked in and there was this group from Russia that began to sing a song that I recognized, not because I knew any of the words that they were saying, but it was a tune uh, that was a song of my own faith, and yet I heard it in a different language, a holy moment to be there uh, in that place. But it was also a holy moment to get off the plane at DFW and to look through the window uh, at the baggage claim and to see my wife sitting out there waiting to pick me up. It was a holy moment to, uh, to come here uh, to pick up my uh, five-year-old and, and to give him a hug and, and to see my daughter uh, for the first time after 10 days. And it's a holy moment to be here this morning because there is something holy about being home here. And so we're, we're delighted to be here with you. Just a few pictures to, to tease for you what we're going to be sharing with you over the next six weeks in the series that's coming up, Discovering the Holy Land. Just a few images from our trip. You see some pictures there of Jerusalem. You'll see our group there in the Jordan River, there at the Western Wall. You'll see a pretty neat shot of the Sea of Galilee. And in the six weeks that follows, we're going to be taking you on a journey through the Holy Land, uh, to the land where Jesus lived as we walk towards the cross uh, during the Lenten season. And so I hope you'll be with us starting next week uh, as we walk that road together and we share with you this, uh, this incredible trip and again, the, the land uh, where Jesus lived his life. But today, uh, we're going to wrap up our series, Finisher. And I joked last night that the reason Mike and I are sharing the message is it cuts in half the likelihood that we will say something dumb uh, with the jet lag uh, that, that you kind of go through coming home. So uh, if, if you've been here with us, uh, the very simple idea at the heart of this series has been that life is not about starting things, life is about finishing things. Whether we're talking about marriage or kids or a career or many different aspects of our life, we'd say that, that life, the point of life is not to start something, the point of life is to finish Something that we want to be finishers, that, that our hope and prayer for each person who's a part of this family of faith is that you would live in such a way that one day you would be able to speak the words that the Apostle Paul says at the end of his life when he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. 
That, that is a definition, that's a picture of what it looks like to be a finisher. And that's what we want for all of us, is that we would live in such a way that we would one day be able to say, hey, no regrets, because I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And so over the last three weeks, that's what we've talked about, is how we as individuals train ourselves to actually live the life that Jesus lived so that we might be finishers, we may finish the race of faith well, if you were here last week, you heard a great sermon from our bishop on, on the idea of training triumph over trying, that we don't just simply try to follow Jesus, but that we train ourselves in such a way that we can live the life that he lived. That's what we talked about the last three weeks. Today we're talking about how the church, how our life together, how we can be finishers as a family of faith. And so we begin today with this question, what's the finish line for us together? What's the finish line for the church? What's the goal for the church? What's the vision for our life together? And I hope you already know the answer to that question because we, we lift it up over and over again. It's, it's printed behind me on the wall. That our vision, our, 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 our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who will love God, love others, and serve the world. For us, as we think about direction in our life, this is true north. This is where we're heading. This is what our life is all about. This is what, above all things, we want to be about as a family of faith, is inviting people into a relationship with Jesus, where they are being discipled in such a way, growing in such a way, that they're growing in love of God, in love of neighbor, and in service to the world, that you are deepening in your adoration of God. And that you are deepening, deepening in, your, in, in, in your sense of grace that you share with the people you share life with. And that you are growing in your service and outreach to the world. That that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's the goal. That's the finish line for us. Is that that's what we want to do. We want to make disciples. So if you bring that language into the language of this series, the metaphor of, of running the race, here's what we'd say, that we believe the church that finishes well is always doing three things. The first thing is starting the race, inviting people to start the race, helping people train for the race, and then, and then inviting people to run the race. That if we're going to be a church that finishes well, if we're going to live up to our mission of making disciples of Jesus, who love God, love others, and serve the world. These are three things that should always be happening in the life of our church, that people should be invited to start the race, to train for the race, and run for the race. Now, Mike's going to come and unpack this for you a little bit more, but I want to give you just one picture as you think about what it means to start the race. Uh, there's many different ways that you can describe that. You can talk about a conversion experience. You can talk about being born again. You can talk about being saved. Depending on your tradition, you may have different language. But the image I want you to have as Mike unpacks this for you is the earliest expression of the Christian faith, which was, Jesus is Lord. So the life of faith begins when we make that claim that Jesus is Lord of my life, that Jesus will be Lord of my will, of my desires, of my behavior, of my direction. And I want you to hold that picture in your mind as Mike comes now and shares with you more about starting the race, training for the race, and running the race. Thank you, David. If we think about uh, finishing, uh, we thoroughly talk about individually that we each finish the race God calls us to, to finish, uh, but also how the church is called to do that as well, that we're each as a church family to finish together. Uh, we have one baptism, one calling, uh, Ephesians tells us that, uh, and this race that God calls us to run together. So the church must, must finish well, just as surely as each one of us does so individually. And that's all around the concept that Jesus is Lord of the church. 
that Jesus is also Lord of you and me. Uh, I want to begin uh, by telling a, a story that's, that's, that goes way back in my early ministry when I began. I was 25 years old when I pastored my first church. We arrived on a Wednesday there in that small country church, my wife and I, and we had a two-year-old and a six-month-old. Uh, I had finished Bible college. I'd been taught there to be a pastor, uh, to be a preacher, and I'd been taught the Bible. I was ready to go, so off I go to the church. I uh, had all, many expectations, but the first day I was there, first full day, I got a phone call. Uh, it seems that before I arrived, the pastor before me left, and not everybody was happy about his leaving. And there had been a man there who made a brand new pulpit for this brand new church that has been built there in that small community. That pulpit was made out of oak. Uh, it was very ornate, uh, had uh, no nails in it, only glue. He wanted to be this very, very special, very unique pulpit, and it was. And the call went something like this. He had it out in a field by his, his ranch. He's getting ready to burn the pulpit. The reasoning was he was mad that the old preacher had left. The new preacher had come in. He didn't want me to use it, so he's going to burn it. And so my job was to call him and talk him out of it. As a young 25-year-old pastor, that was my job. And so I persuaded him as gently as I could, please don't burn the pulpit. He said, if you get out here and get it today, I won't. And so we got out there, got that loaded, that pulpit up on a pickup truck, bought it at the church. It's still there today after 36 years, still in that church family, uh, helping being part of that church. But, but I tell you that to give you an idea how church begins for many pastors. And, and so I learned in those years that my job was to, and I'd seen it modeled by pastors that I had had growing up in the church, my job was to pastor people, preach good, and work really hard to kind of build the church. That was my job to create success for this church through growth and whatever else we, were, we felt like we should be doing. So that's what I did for four years and had success. The church grew, it developed, did better than it had before me, uh, and uh, that's what happened. Now, when I left there, I went to another church for nine years, did the very same thing. I pastored really good. I preached as well as I could. Uh, I, I worked really, really hard and built that church. In fact, I did everything there. Uh, I coached three of the church softball teams that we had in that church uh, that we created while I was there. My wife, Rhonda, led many of the children's programs as well. We were kind of short-staffed. And so that's what I did. And so, so my idea of the church was this. Now, if our mission statement is, making disciples of Jesus Christ who, love God, who, who, who will love God, love others, and serve the world. I thought in those first 13 years, the mission statement was, was uh, work as hard as you can till you kill yourself. That was my mission statement. And also, you'll kill them too because the church won't understand what their job is as a body of Christ. Those churches both declined rapidly when I left. Both churches barely survive today. They hang on by the skin of their teeth. I failed those churches. I've had to confess my sins since then, that I sent to the church upon my hard work and my sweat equity rather than the calling of Christ or the mission of the church or the finishing that they were called to be. And so I, I didn't know any better. I have since learned. I have grown. I have matured. It's about the mission of the church, the calling of Jesus Christ, finishing together. Ephesians says it this way, that we are to live out the calling of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, as the body of Christ, one faith, one baptism, one mission, and David said it well, 
Jesus is Lord, being that core, uh, that core word that moves us as a church to say we're going to finish, but first we must start the race. What does starting the race look like? What does it mean in biblical teaching? I think at first it really means this, and the word I would use would be conversion. To start the race, we must be converted. We must, in our life, be transformed in such a way that we decide that I'm no longer Lord of my life, that Jesus now is Lord of my life, and the word we have around that is saved, uh, born again, salvation given, being made new, renewed. Many words the Bible uses to speak to that, but that's, that's, a, that's a supernatural thing where God actually changes a human heart. We submit to his authority in our life. We accept his grace and salvation. We are converted. We, we begin the race together. So we begin with starting the race. And the word is conversion. Then we train for the race. If conversion is about starting and training, the word is discipleship. The word discipleship means we decide we are and I am going to follow Jesus Christ. What does he teach me? How should I live? What should I do? Who am I becoming? Walking with God as Christ did. And that is discipleship. What is a disciple? What is it, what is it to be converted to Christ? What is it to be born again and love God and love neighbors? We talk about in our church. So we move from conversion to discipleship. This is a journey we have as a church. As we mature and grow and expand who we are as the people of God. And the third aspect of this is then running the race. We run the race. And what is running the race? We begin in the church. We recognize how much we need everything the church offers. The, the preaching, the teaching, the, lead, the leadership, the, the guidance, the, the model. We need the church really, really desperately when we begin in our journey of, as Christians. It comes a time, though, that we begin running the race. We recognize, hey, now I've matured. I have grown as a follower of Christ, a disciple. I have been trained to run the race. So now my task is to how can I serve with the church, through the church, as part of the church, the world I live in, in mission and in outreach. That's how we know we've matured. We recognize that now it's about the church needs what God's done in my life, and I'm going to give that to the church, through the church, in service and mission, outreach, making a difference in the world we live in. That's part of the journey of growing in our faith, and any race becomes that. We start, we train, and then comes a time we're supposed to run with that being the core value of the church. And that's the mistake that I made in those first two churches for 13 years of my ministry. Uh, we never got to running the race. I was constantly simply leading them to be converted and, and blessing them and taking care of them, but I never challenged them to go beyond that. And so I failed them as a church family. When I left, those churches declined because the one who moved them was now gone instead of Christ being Lord, and I'd made that error. So now I want to share a little bit with you what's happening in the world we live in right now. And you may know this, some of these things already, but uh, the church nationally is really declining, has been for a long time. The Methodist church certainly has been doing so, uh, having lost five to six million members in the last 40 years. That's a lot when you only had 12 million to start. So our denomination is down to around 7 million members in the U.S. At one time, we were, we were almost 10% of the population. Now we're negligibly part of the population. That's a terrific change. That's true with every denomination in the country, not just ours. 
We had now non-denominational churches and others that have grown rapidly in the last 20 years. Many of them are beginning to decline and experience that as well. It's a national phenomenon that's happening for a number of reasons. Uh, there are many statistics that speak to this, but I'm sharing really a quick summary of what's happening. Uh, first, saying that uh, around the nation, uh, baby boomers are dropping out of the church. Now, I'm a baby boomer. Somebody born between 1946 and 1964 is a boomer. I see many boomers out there uh, with me. Why are boomers dropping out after 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the life of the church? Here's one of the reasons, I think, uh, that some have just got, got a little bored, just plain bored. Uh, I heard that sermon before. They may be thinking, I know that. I read that part of the Bible. Yeah, I've been to lots and lots of services many times, you know. And so I've been there and done all that. And so I think, I don't think I need it anymore, maybe they might even say. I don't need that anymore. I've heard it all. I've been taught it all. I've got it all down in my head. And so, so boomers are dropping out around the nation. And why is that? I think not only because they're bored, but because somehow they've never run the, got to the place where they are, some are anyway, running the race. They got tired of training. I'm tired of training, wins the race. They never accepted the challenge because now it's about the challenge. How is God challenging me that he might use me to change the world, to do mission, to to really connect in that way? And that's the challenge God gives each one of us that carries us beyond I'm bored to I'm inspired, I'm excited. Look what God is doing in my life and the life of my church. I want to connect that way. And that's the answer. We must move to finishing, running the race, uh, and not just training all the time and saying conversion's done. I believe in Jesus. Now what am I going to do about my belief? Then we have the millennial generation, which is a very young generation, the 20s mostly. Millennials either are dropping out across the nation or not connecting in the first place. And why is that? There are many reasons. I'm, you know, summarizing very quickly what I think it is. Uh, And one of the reasons is that that the church has its values, biblical values. Here those values can be defined in this way. And yet the culture has another set of values. There's always a tension between the cultural values and the church's values. That's always going to be the case. But those, those differences now are widening. At one time, those differences were here when I was a young Christian. My parents were young Christians, even closer together. But it's further and further and further apart. The values of the church, the values of biblical faith, the values of the culture, they're getting so far apart that some of the millennials are saying, well, I'm going to stay with the values of the culture. This is what I know and understand, believe in. And so sometimes they don't want to jump the chasm to what does the Bible teach my faith should be about. And so there I use the word calling. What really is my calling? What is the calling of Jesus Christ? What, is, what are biblical values? If boomers need to accept the challenge, millennials need to think about what really is my calling as part of the church. Uh, what is my calling as one who lives out biblical values. What is the calling I have as Christ calls me to live and share my faith? Might be around the millennial, uh, the challenge there. There's a third phenomenon that's happening nationally, and that is young families are sometimes dropping out or not getting connected. There was a time that every young family wanted to be part of the church. They wanted to raise their kids in church, but that's changing today. Uh, And one of the reasons for that is young families are overwhelmed by the, the demands of the life they feel like they're expected to live. If that they have this expectation 
forced upon them, here's what your family should look like and what you should do and how you should be. And they're being taught what that is. And it's so overwhelming that they, they have to begin to think about, how am I going to do this? Well, what are the optional pieces of my life? You know, what can I begin to change or cut out? And, and, and the one optional thing is, well, the church is always optional. Uh, the expectations of church are always optional. The, the, the expectations of following Christ are always optional. And, and so I can, I can manage those things out of my life and do the things that I feel like are not optional. These things I have no choice. I have to do these things. And so they find themselves trying to balance all that, and it drives them crazy. And some of the, sometime the, the first thing that, that, that is, uh, uh, that's taken out of life is simply the church. And I, I give up on the church, and some are doing that. Well, the last I'm going to look at here today is the oldest generation, generation older than me, and there's always an older generation. The older generation also many times is dropping out today. The reason that they might say is that I just can't deal with the change. The change is too unsettling in the world I live in, in my culture. The church is part of that as well. It's too much for me. It creates too much anxiety, uh, too much stress, so I'm just going to quit. It's just easier to stay home. Know the Bible anyway. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And so we have these things that we say. And so they find themselves dropping out. And they find themselves not in a place where they're going to finish. And here's the problem with that. That the rest of us build our lives upon those who are finishers. We build our lives upon the finishers. The church dies without the finishers. Without those who say, you can count on me, you can depend upon me, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be here, I'm going to give, I'm going to serve, I'm going to be an example, I'm going to love God, show you what that looks like, I'm going to finish, and you can build your life upon that, whatever you are in your life. And so if the boomers are about accepting a challenge, and millennials are about hearing the calling, if young families are about setting priorities, middle generation must be about finishing. Because the oldest generation sets a tone for everyone else, and we must do that when we reach that time and stage of our life. So hear those words. So go back to the beginning then today and, and what I said to start with. And that is my first few churches, uh, my first two churches, 13 years, I, I realized I failed those churches and because I simply pastored and taught and worked trying to make the church go without teaching people to run the race and to finish the race and to be followers of Christ themselves. And so I, I confess that God forgive me for doing that. We don't want to do that here. So, so Pastor David and I and other staff talk a lot about how we can help lead this church to continue to be a church that's going to finish in what God, God calls each one of us to be and do in the world we live in around the simple method today we're talking about, which is starting a race and, and uh, training for the race and running the race, a very clear biblical analogy we're sharing right now. And so that's where we are. And David's going to finish his message today and kind of bring us to a conclusion. He's ready to do that now. I want you to hear uh, those words again. Uh, the rest of the people build their lives on the finishers. The rest of the people build their lives on the finishers. And I wonder if in hearing that, you in your mind are thinking of someone who lived faith well for you. Perhaps you're here today because of them, because of uh, their love and grace that they share with you, but because of the adoration that you saw in them for Jesus and the way they followed him. 
Maybe it was your parent or a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, a coach, a a lifelong friend, but someone who has lived the life of faith for you well and taught you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I I bet there's someone in your mind. There's there's many who fill my mind. Uh, Several months ago, I was at a conference, and I was asked to develop a life theme. Again, the same uh, idea here of the finish line, the goal, the vision that we have for the church. Uh, the challenge was, what is, it, what is it for you, David? And this is, this is what I came up with, that I'm a follower of Jesus, and my life is about helping people follow Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus, and my life is about helping people follow Jesus. Now, I want you to hear the distinction there, that as a pastor, my goal and my hope and my vision, uh, my life is not about inviting people to follow me. It's not. That would be failing. My life is about helping people follow Him. About following Jesus. And the people who have been finishers for you in your life, that was their goal for you as well. That was their hope for you as well. While I was in Israel, I, I marked the, the first anniversary of my, my papa's passing, my, my dad's father. Uh, And at his funeral, I heard for the first time my dad tell the story of the night that my dad gave his life to Jesus, and he told his dad, my papa, about that. And, And he told, again, for the first time I heard my dad describe his own father weeping as he heard his son talking about this conversion experience in his life. It was a reminder to me that for, for my papa, his, his goal was not that we would love him but that in the love he shared with us that we would learn to love Jesus. That's our hope. Now, if Jesus is Lord, if that statement is the beginning of the race, if that's where the race starts for us, then maybe the question we should ask ourselves is how often do we need to start the race? (laughs) Well, the answer is probably every single day. Because every single day we wake up and we have to answer for ourselves the question, who will be Lord of my life today? Who will be Lord of my will and my desire and my behavior, uh, the direction of my life? For some of us, we need to ask ourselves that question the first thing out of bed, and then probably 30 minutes later, we were faced with that question again, right? Who is going to be Lord of my life today? Who's going to direct my will and my desire and my behavior? So understand that starting the race and training for the race and running for the race, this is not necessarily a linear process. This is something that we're all doing every single day. There are days that we go out to run and we fall on our face. And and when we do, we say, I need to train some more. I I need to practice this forgiveness and grace more. And and, and understand that the training process is for for the purpose of running the race. We're here today in worship. And part of what we're here to do is to share gratitude to God. Together to lift our voices and say, God, we love you and we praise you for loving us. Thank you for this gift. We we express gratitude to God, but part of the reason that we do that here is so that gratitude becomes the natural expression of our lives. So that what happens in this place also happens tomorrow morning and, and on Tuesday at lunch. And Thursday when you're there at the office. And, and Friday when you're gathered around the, uh, the table with, with your family. Training is not for God's sake. When we open the word, uh, God isn't up in heaven just feeling so flattered that we've picked up the Bible again. No, what, what, what the Bible is, is it's, it's God's gift to us. To train us for righteousness. So understand this. That our hope for you, our hope for our church, is that you would follow Jesus that you would grow as a disciple of Jesus, and in growing and training yourself, you would begin to run the race 
that God has called you to run. And he would run it well. Because the rest of the people, those here among us today and those who will come after us, their lives will depend on whether or not as a church, as a family of faith, we finish well. So that's our prayer. God, help us together to be finishers. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pause and we ask that you would help us to be a more beautiful expression of the church. That as we come together today, Lord, as brothers and sisters, to receive again this gift of Holy Communion, remembering your body broken, your blood shed, your grace shared with each of us, that this grace would transform us, God, into being the people you have called us to be. Help us to receive the blessing and help us to share the blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.